Hello and welcome to Mental Notes from my minivan, uh, the first podcast of 2019 opens in the scene of my somewhat messy living room and sitting with me is my son. I'm like introducing you. Oh, I'm Gabe. Gabe. Yeah. <laughs> I was waiting, <laughs> I was waiting for you to be like, Gabriel Sayer. Anyway, Gabe's here, and he is um, waiting to go back to school at the end of the month. He's a freshman in college, right? Yes. I got that one right. Okay, cool. Um, I didn't actually do that for effect. I often lose track of who's where, which doesn't mean that I don't love my children desperately. I'm just that way. And he is my second born, and he's 18, and... If in case anybody gets offended on behalf of my firstborn or any of my other children, um, I actually have offered them an opportunity in the past to be on the podcast, but it hasn't ever come together just right. And since he and I are hanging around the house together, I thought it was a perfect opportunity for him to um, do a little performance review since he's now 18 on my parenting and tell me in every way I failed and succeeded. We're just kidding, kind of. I actually did think that um, it would be nice for him to um, have a chance to talk from the perspective of somebody who's kind of still fresh to everything that happened leading up to college and hasn't black blanked out the whole of what is really relevant to a high schooler and is kind of on the cusp of really getting into what is really relevant to a college student and a young adult, even though he is already an adult in every way and has been since he was born. Um, that's kind of his temperament. Would you disagree? Um, yeah, I guess so. I guess I act that way. Yeah, Gabe was born an old soul, and he has been definitely a very steadying influence in our home. And... Um, I think you're unusually sort of self-possessed for one of your age and thoughtful. And I think, you know, you when you were born, you were, um, you were born on your, your older brother's second birthday and you kind of just slid into the family, just the dynamics very smoothly and you looked out for everybody and... We were discussing yesterday about how he doesn't really present as a second born. He presents as a first born. He's very, um, what are some of the words they used to describe when you came? I actually had him do a birth order test. Um, I think a lot of it was like about organization yeah. and like control. Not like control in a bad way, but just like keeping things under control. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah. So, yeah. So, as a second born in a family of five kids, and we had the first four in quick succession, lots happening. My husband's career kind of just beginning as we're having children. A lot of, of sort of travel upheaval, movement around the country, a brief attempt to move back to South Africa. Um, you know, lots of kids. Um, in a small space, Gabe has always been a really, really kind of chill, but um, 
careful observer of everybody's needs and has tried to meet them and um he does present very much as a first child to me you know he's very very conscientious very organized very driven and um but also very aware of what everybody else needs which has been a lovely blessing to us but probably quite the burden to you um i think okay i i act like a firstborn i think this is my theory is because i've always kind of followed in the footsteps of my older brother who is the firstborn right um yeah so you so you basically is alter ego yeah yeah because you have the same maybe it's because we just sort of treated you like twins like you were twins two years apart yeah yeah i mean yeah in some in some aspects i think but i mean you treat us differently enough obviously um but yeah i mean ben has always like he's created like a desirable path to follow I think in my opinion so that's why I followed it I'm not just blindly following it right no um yeah that's true like Ben did sort of set up a path of excellence like this is how you get through school and you get a scholarship to college and and you know soccer and all the stuff he sort of did he did set up a, a nice um he set the bar quite high very high actually and you were happy yeah. to continue with it so the interesting thing though is that I see you two as so incredibly different in temperament um, you know you are just just looking at you two together now and what you've grown into even though that you were nurtured in almost the same way in the same environment certainly having been born so close together and raised so similarly and had so many interactions with the same people and most of your life having the same friends and all that stuff and yet just looking at you now just how you see the world or how you move through the world and how you dress differently and sort of have totally different aspirations is fascinating to see how people really do have their own inclinations like we truly are born different people even though you're you know you get along so great and you have done similar things in life but you do have very 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 different outlooks in a lot of ways which i think is very cool um so anyway what we were really talking about was how um you know um i just have always noted uh, I, I actually don't think any of my kids i don't i don't see any of them who, as being um below average anything less than above average in terms of observancy I, f I feel like you guys really kind of regard the world and make a lot of um you just observe very carefully you observe human behavior you observe consequences of actions you you are observers of the world you're thoughtful kind of people but my enduring image of gabe if I think of Gabe as a child, as a baby, even as a toddler, and as I'm looking at him now, it's hilarious because I was about to say something and then I look up and I see him, is Gabe staring into the middle distance with his brow furrowed and his hands like just at his lips, just thoughtful, like thinking. And often it made him look really pensive, like, oh no, is Gabe okay? Like uh, Gabe really kind of um, engenders certainly in me his mother but like 
like uh, protectiveness because he always looked so pensive and so uh, sober. And it was like to see a little little boy like that a lot of the time is like is that little boy okay is he being and I used to hear people just sort of like oh that poor sweet little boy uh, you know he's sort of lost in the crowd of this this huge family with the you know the babies and the and um, that's just how you are I've come to realize I used to be so worried like is little Gabe okay but Gabe was fine Gabe's just thoughtful just always thinking ahead always considering I have a photo of you at your first uh, um, voting booth yeah. and somebody even commented on it like look at Gabe just standing back that's how everybody should look at a voting booth like he didn't come in there with any preconceived ideas he's considering the and I'm sure that's not true yeah. um, he's considering the options he's really reading it but he is a very careful person and observant person so I think it's considering you have you have come through so far of childhood and teenagehood with a lot of grace and um, you've weathered some pretty significant storms like we all do um, with grace and um, you tend to be very observant and very articulate I thought it would be nice for us to discuss how people in your community as you've grown up and that can be um, your parents your siblings your teachers your coaches your friends all the folk in your community have you have found them supportive um, how you know this we, we've discussed this beforehand like how we thought this podcast could be useful to people um, you know what kind of things that you wish people who supported teenagers knew how they could be more helpful um, and we're just gonna kind of see where that can go like we're not lecturing anybody on well I wish everybody would know how to do things exactly the way my parents did because that's certainly not true or I wish that people would do better it's just kind of your observations of how things have been helpful for you and maybe you wish everybody had access to that kind of help is that a fair a fair kind of statement of where we're going yeah yeah okay he is inscrutable his facial expression right now I can't tell if he's like in pain or at anticipating this at all probably in pain um <laughs> no no I'm just just thinking um so I think what is like ringing at the top of my mind right now as one of the most important things is in in supporting a child or a teenager as they um approach adulthood where they will be like independent is to start giving them those bits of independence at, when they're a teenager mm. so like for me at least I know that my parents um, they weren't ever like really on top of me for my like uh, like my grades they weren't like constantly checking my grades they just like kind of they like trusted that um, I was, like, doing my thing, um, they, they obviously knew that all of us kids were, like, um, responsible students, and we work hard, um, but they, 
just kind of let us do our own thing. If we got a B or something, they weren't going to get mad at us. They Like, they know that we would, like, that we were probably trying our hardest. Um, but, I don't know. I, I kind of discussed this a little bit in my critical thinking class this semester. Yeah. Where, um, we were talking about, like an article and it was actually about like Chinese parenting and how it's like super strict or whatever and then I mentioned that I thought that a big reason well where I am now was like largely um due to like self-discipline and I said that like I would consider that to be more valuable than like imposed discipline from like someone else Mm -hmm. Um, and my teacher kind of just said, um, well, yeah, I mean, you might be a freak of nature because a lot of people don't have that that self-discipline. So like, I agree. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, obviously. (laughs) Well, the thing is that I, I think about this a lot as well because we've got five kids and we have four of them so far who have being um, self-starters in terms of academics. And I have never experienced what I see a lot of my friends have to um, deal with, which is um, going into those grade, what, like I don't even know what that thing's called, and, and people t- check them 15 times a day, oh, people yeah, I know. The grades. What is that thing called, that portal thing? I'm like, what? Uh, like a progress book or something? Uh, something. There's something that people can go online and check their kids' grades all the time and see if they've handed things in and if they've like, and I am like, what is the hell is going on with that? Because for me, I feel like, oh, it's, to me, it seems offensively intrusive. And I know that I am, I was just, I always sort of came at it from, from realizing how I would have felt if my parents had been poking around in my assignments and my grades. And it would have been appalling to me. I would have been horrified by it. I would have been, in fact, one of, and I've had a pretty tra- traumatic childhood to draw upon experiences. But one of the worst things that I can remember happening as a teenager that I revisit quite a bit and just am so mad about, which, you know, and like I said, I've got a lot to draw upon, um, was one time my dad asked me if I'd done my homework and I said, yes. And then he called my friend to ask her what the homework was to make sure that I had, and I was so livid and she was so freaked out and I was so freaked out and everybody it just seemed like such an intrusion so culturally it's so foreign to me that a parent would be so intimately involved but then it seems like we just lucked out and I didn't do very well in school and so (laughs) so maybe if my parent but I don't feel like it would have been any different if my parents had been on top of me all the time I think it would not have had a tiny bit, made a tiny bit of difference and it would have affected our relationship even worse than, you know. So tell me what you think about that. Because I've thought a lot about, people say, oh, well, aren't you lucky you have still self-starting kids? And I'm like, even if I didn't, that just isn't, I did high school. That's not my, 
that's not my job. Like if they fail, they fail. And then they have the humiliation of being in sixth grade again or whatever. Yeah. So, um, I think the importance of letting them do their own thing is the ease of transition into adulthood. Like I mentioned earlier, because when you have parents, um, like constantly checking up on you, making sure you're doing your homework, um, like waking, waking waking you you up up. for school in the morning. Like you don't, what happens (laughs) when you go to college and you don't have your mom there with you to wake you up for school? Um, and also just like, um, if, if your child, I mean, if, if you're old enough to be doing your own laundry, you should be doing your own laundry in my opinion, because like this, the same, I've, I've noticed that like some parents who are like, um, yelling at their kids for not doing their homework are also doing their laundry for them. So you're not really like, Mm. so we set up sort of really, and it was partly because, um, we wanted to teach you self-sufficiency and we wanted yeah. you to have pride in doing chores around the house and, and catch you when it was still fun. So we had you guys start doing your own laundry when you were six and it was a novelty and you could barely reach and it was fun and you were, and also because I was drowning and yeah. I didn't yeah. like to be called out like, mom, I, I don't have the clean thing I need for this day. That was just, I was like, dudes, no. Like, if you can handle this, you're going to handle this so that you know if you don't have the clean thing for that day, it's your fault and not mine. So it was like sort of like this by necessity and for family peace and thing. But the kids have really discussed this quite a bit, the laundry thing, as being pivotal for them. It's just like, I don't know, like laundry, doing laundry is so easy. Yeah, it really is. It's and not a big I just, tricky thing. Yeah, I just thing. really, uh, I don't know. Like, and I'm not trying to like, like, be mean to anybody or anything. But like, it just, I just have trouble seeing how. It's like so. Hard I think it just do. doesn't occur to people to let their kids do laundry because it seems like a perfectly. Um, it's just such a because it's easy. Um, parents are like, well. Might as well do it. Yeah. Might as well do it. And it's just not a concept that's familiar to people to delegate the laundry. You know, people do have their kids wash dishes and stuff. But the thing is, laundry is so personal to you. You take care of your laundry. Yeah, if yeah. your laundry is dirty and you've got nothing to wear, then you've got nothing to wear. And you've got nobody to blame but yourself. And if your laundry is always done and in your drawers, you don't know the process behind what it takes to be presentable and have clean clothes and so there's no there's no idea of how to like plan ahead and not run out of clothes or you know all that stuff and i did not get to, i did a lot of chores growing up my parents were very diligent about having us do chores and and have personal responsibility for lots of things i'll give them that um but my mom was very particular as you know about laundry and so we were never let near it i had no idea how the the her washing machine or her system worked at all until I left home and I went to college and immediately dyed everything pink or blue and I was confused I did not and I, you know I was like I don't want that happening to my kids this is ridiculous there's no reason why they shouldn't be able to just flip and make this happen it's not science you know I suppose it is a very very rudimentary science but yeah but yeah 
so anyway, so there's a lot of reasons. Partly mom needed help. I didn't like people being mad at me. I didn't see any reason for there to be that kind of conflict and the responsibility. And the kids took to it gratefully. And I think that comes from starting really young. Yeah. And then they sort of really liked, I think you guys have always liked having control most, well, all, so far Ella doesn't, but having control over your, your own um, lives, you know? Yeah. I mean, Ella obviously... Is being raised in yeah, a different being way. Raised differently, so. Gabe is super disapproving of no, just... <laughs> how we raise Ella. Because Ella's a classic, uh, in South Africa, we call it the light lamaki. She's the much younger than everybody else. She's seven years younger than Finney. And so she was not raised as a pack of four. She was raised as a very doted upon little princess who had six parents. And now the kids are like, what, wait? When I was Ella's age, I was earning a living, cleaning the house, taking care of all the younger siblings <laughs> and getting straight A's. What is Ella doing? So this is a classic situation. But um, yeah, I think so. What you're so uh, to what you're saying is that you guys have always appreciated that kind of autonomy, and you are now finding that it's been very helpful to you, including like getting up in the morning. I am so shocked by how many teenagers, their parents have to like yell at them to wake up in the morning. Yeah, like have <laughs> I like slept through my alarm and been late to school. A few times, yeah, sure, sure I have. But and like, I didn't even know about like, it. Like, I was yeah. never privy to it. Yeah, like, but first of all, it's not a big deal. And second of all, it, like, builds character. Obviously, like, it'll, like, stress you out a little bit, so you don't want that to happen again. And you'll, like, correct that. Maybe you'll, like, set a few more alarms. Maybe you'll, like, get a louder alarm clock, but, like... Interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah, so the consequence being immediate... And you being solely responsible for the consequence meant that you sort of were quick to correct the situation. Whereas I think if you've got a really kind of a, a really a doting mom, not to say that I haven't been doting, I adore the kids, but I am like super not on in the morning. I'm like every freaking man, woman and child for themselves in the morning. And um you know, if you have a mom who's shielding you from the consequences of five more minutes, five more minutes, and then they actually, you know, like give you breakfast in bed and hustle you to school just in the nick of time and all sorts of things. When you hit college and there's no such thing, it is going to be hellacious, I think. What a horrible and stressful and traumatic adjustment to then suddenly have to deal with so many different things, including having to get yourself up in the morning um, get to, you know, if it's, if it's not in any way in your experience, I think it must be really tough. Yes. Um, yeah, because like when you're, once you're in college, like you don't have that option of, um, your parents being there to like force you to do everything or wake you up in the morning. Or do your homework or. Yeah. So like you are literally responsible for your own success and like development and what I'm saying is like why not just start that early yeah so, like you literally just like get a head start in college it's not like you're like 
life changes for the worse and if you're still at home and you're um and you're taking on responsibilities that theoretically could be taken on by your parents but yeah why not just I mean, eventually it's going to happen. So yeah. if it theoretically could be taken on by your parents or you, it should probably be taken on by you. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> at one point, at some point, it's going to be happening. Now, obviously, you know, we have different coping skills at different ages. And sometimes, you know, a parent could put too much, too many things. Like, th- theoretically, you can also make all your own meals. And, you know, from a very young age, you could scrabble around in the garbage. And, and, and that's not good parenting to make you have to do that so there is a balance but you know there are simple things that you can start and I think I think there's two things in parenting and I've experienced them myself I'm not like in any way holding myself up as the superior parent um, there's two things we're afraid of we're afraid of um, what if we cross the line between independence and then neglecting the kid um, putting too much pressure on the kid that the kid, you know, simply can't or resents you and feels like you were a neglectful parent. Or what if we let them fail? What if, you know, because you were hands off, they fail? Um, you know, and, and I th- I'm sure you've, you've got to have seen that where there are parents who weren't interested or they were so overwhelmed with their own stuff that kids were, they certainly aren't checking the grades and kids are falling through the cracks because their parents have, for some reason or another, not almost never wantonly or intentionally, but they really aren't involved enough. So, so there is a different, there's a different take on this, that you can be an uninvolved parent and that's just as toxic, if not more, if you're not there for your kid at all. Yeah, I think obviously, there are those cases where because you've been I don't know that like some kids have been like literally like left out to dry and left to their own devices entirely and I've seen them not doing well because they don't have like the help that they need because like obviously the resources yeah, yeah yeah so like if I'm not doing well in school or like I don't understand my math homework I know I can ask my parents or like my older siblings but like some people don't have that so like like yeah. our parents aren't always constantly checking our grades but they do see our um they do see our like quarterly report cards and like obviously if there were some c's or d's on there then they'd probably say something well i think also you know and this is this is just occurring to me now that because we've lived in a small space like yeah, we have a small lot. house um, and we have each of us bemoaned that very very vocally um, over time at different periods of time but now that all is said and done most is said and done I feel super lucky about it I think that we were always kind of aware even if we weren't involved we were always aware of your moods yeah we could always see where there's a lot of distress going on because there's not a lot of place for people to hide. You know, people were sharing rooms and I would hear from one sibling, this one is freaking out in their room about their, their you know, their chemistry homework. Um, or, you know, you've come to me before and said, Mom, are you aware that Finney has seemed really depressed for the last two weeks? 
And I'd be like, actually, I wasn't. So thank you. You know, um, you know stuff like that, that. That with so much interaction and so much sort of FaceTime, we could intervene and go, okay, what's wrong? You know, or you'll do your homework out on the on the dining room table and. So I think that's sort of like just that FaceTime, even if you aren't getting fully, and that's, there's a lot to be said for people who have dinner together every night. Um, if your house is large, at least make sure that you're having FaceTime with your kid on a really regular basis so you can gauge the stress level. Yeah, and I think what's also important about this household is that there's there's been like an environment of an acceptance like established so like um we aren't scared to like tell you if we're not doing well because like it's not like if i get a d on a math quiz that if i come home and tell my parents i'm gonna get my ass whooped but like (laughs) if i tell them they'll be like oh like how can we help like what are you struggling with like we can probably help you get through it And I wonder how, um, I'm not sure how that evolved, but, but I don't think that that, you know, once I, I, I I'm just trying to figure out if you've sort of set up a precedent of, you know, I think it could have gone, especially when Ben was born, there was kind of this, this rush to, um, make parenting almost a competitive sport. And it, we, we were taught that, um, and you were born in 2000, Ben was just before that, we suddenly were taught like you, more than anything else, you have the, this incredible power over your child's like life. And if you start them at the earliest age and make them as absolutely excellent as they possibly can be, they're gonna be streets ahead of everybody else. And so that kind of intensity led a lot of parents to think that if they were doing, you know, if they were on their kids and just writing them to be the best they could and putting them in every extracurricular and all the stuff, then they would have this huge edge and they would be so grateful to them, you know, when they were ruling the world and making tons of money by the time they were 30. And the pendulum just really swung from free-range parenting of sort of normal parenting of the 70s and sort of 80s which I grew up in that your parents gave you food gave you clothes oversaw things went to one or two of your activities a year and were and like called good to this like uber helicopter parenting and so I guess I tried that a little bit at the beginning I really did buy into that like you've heard the story of Ben and his language tapes and um like I got Ben these language tapes when he was did do you know the story of Ben and the language tapes? I don't think so. Oh, anyway, um, when I was pregnant with Ben, I just couldn't, you know, I read all the books even before I was pregnant with Ben. And there was this stuff about if you expose babies to different languages, tonal memories when they're infants, they will be able to speak languages much more easily. So I used to make Ben listen like as a one month, two month old to Russian, German, French, uh, I think Chinese every morning. And then he had this little black and white mobile, and then I used to do his little exercise and all that stuff. And it was super intense. It was all over Ben. And then you came, you came along and saved Ben from that intensity. And so did Caroline. And having all these kids in quick ses- succession um, made me too tired and too busy to keep that up. 
but a lot of parents who just have one or two kids like keep with that theme and um, I don't think it's healthy and I don't think that it probably bears out that kids who are parented in that over-the-top way end up being more successful and I do think that it can create exactly the opposite from what you were saying that failure is not an option and the, the truth is that failure is going to happen to everybody right yeah and so then what happens is the kids are too afraid to talk about it and then they get further and further in a hole and then they're hiding things from their parents and their parents don't are like blindsided which is not why now parents stalk kids all through the day on the that little portal thing to see exactly what they're doing in the hole i just find the dynamic incredibly toxic because it's not sustainable as you you said you yourself said once you get to college um plus i think it's bad for a relationship so yeah um somehow we were saved from that because that could have been you that <laughs> so i feel grateful that mom just got easily overwhelmed i guess but yeah i think it's a good thing to talk about that you know not everybody necessarily has the um the comfort level to go and say i'm struggling and that's sad because i think Maybe that's assumed by a kid that their parent won't understand and their parent would be much kinder and more accepting than the kid realizes. Maybe these, you know, these kind of messages get garbled. And because I feel like there's times that you have, that you've thought, you know, been very, very concerned and worried about something, kept it to yourself and then finally kind of confided in us or told us what was bothering you and then we had the opportunity to address it in a much more calm and rational way than you might have expected that we would. Yeah. And, like, I think part of the, like, I, I don't know. I'm obviously just, like, naturally a shy person, but I think that I felt... I always felt like, I always knew that if I brought it up and talked to you guys, then, um, like, I wouldn't be, like, ridiculed about it. Like, I know, I know that my voice is important in this, in the family operation or whatever, so I Aww. think it's, I think it's good. That, that makes me that. so happy that you feel that way. That's a really nice way to articulate that. Thank you. Um, yeah, I was reading Michelle Obama's book and she just finished it and something that really struck me I actually got like teary-eyed is that when she would go to um, England uh, I think she went to England and, and visited girls um, in a sort of um, a rougher and she did this the same in inner city Chicago uh, she visited with girls in sort of these low socioeconomic areas and she reinforced she wanted to reinforce the message over and over again you matter um, I hold you in high regard. And she said that she just feels like that is such an important message that, that people in general don't get enough. Like you matter, I see you and I admire you. I, I, I think you're great. And that was never hard because, you know, for us to convey to our kids because, because we do. <laughs> you're great. Yeah. Um, so, so I think that, you know, being demonstrative, being naturally demonstrative, um, has, has served 
me well as a mom. Um, I've been able to sort of lead the charge because I don't know if your dad is as naturally demonstrative, but he's very, he's a very non-judgmental person and a very sort of accepting person. So where he was just always so steady and accepting, I was always very demonstrative and I would always express how much we admired and loved you and, and that sort of thing. So we, were, we had a, a really lucky combination in that way. But I know that, you know, um, not necessarily, and it also depends on how um, you were raised, but not necessarily everybody realizes how important it is to say, to tell people often how much they're loved and well-regarded and admired. Even if, and I think most parents feel are passionately in love with their children. They think they're, I mean, not that they they don't get irritated with them all the time. And I, we've certainly had many years where like you guys would irritate me a lot. Um, but at the end of the day, everybody knows that they are deeply loved and in, you know, an in, in integral part of the family. And sometimes people assume that and they so they don't say it and i think saying it speaking the words um is probably more important than we realize would you agree or disagree i definitely agree with that i mean i think i think every good parent wants... and you've seen lots of good parents in action you've yeah, been lucky yeah, enough to see and, that. And, yeah. and in different ways too obviously yeah. like there is no one way that's Um, so true but i think every good parent i think what they have in common is that they want to see their kids succeed they want they want their kids to have success yeah and how you define success whether it be emotional success whether it be material success or whatever like that's perhaps the like largest driving factor behind like parental action Mm. so i think in this family in particular it's evident that you and dad see success as being happy like us being happy right yeah that's 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 what seems to be most important to you and i and i think that's probably a good reason why you try to make us happy here at home. Try to make us feel loved, which we are. Mm. Um, try to make us feel like we're accepted, which we are. So, I don't know. I think... And I like that you brought out that there's different ways of being a good pa- parent. Like, yeah. there's different parenting styles that are very can be very different, but also but equally successful. And defining success look i do believe that defining success as long-term happiness is the correct way to define success i just i just do um but that does not mean that i have been um you know and i hope that i've been supportive in 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 ultimately showing you that that's what you should strive for through living a life of integrity to your towards yourself and others but um I don't um, know, you know, that I've always sort of fit the bill when it came to, you guys were much more um, athletically competitive and interested in sport than I was. I was very, mm, whatever. I was very pre- pragmatic about it. You've heard that that podcast. No, you haven't. Nobody listens to my podcast in my family. They, they, none of them hold me in high regard or care about my goals. <laughs> I'm just joking. No, no, no. <laughs> but you just, 
can listen. I like to throw in, you guys, it's very important to throw in guilt from time to time just to keep it real with your kids. Just keep them on their toes. Just like a little sprinkling here and there. Anyway, just kidding. But I was talking to Nathan Richardson um, about just how pragmatic I approach sports and how very few kids will go anywhere with sports. And so I refuse to sacrifice the whole family for chasing the silly impossible dream of going pro or getting a college scholarship because the odds of it are like ridiculously low. And I don't think you guys appreciated that or that it was necessarily good because you did not see, feel seen or that, because that was a huge thing for you guys. You loved soccer, you loved, maybe not as much for you Gabe, you also had a pretty pragmatic approach. But I know Ben, would say to me often, gosh, I wish you were the kind of parents who would paint your faces in the, the team color and like travel around the country to support a team or, you know, really, cause I'd be like, roll my eyes at all the, the more soccer, soccer moms going off and doing stuff. And I'd be like, the hell, no, this is you guys' thing. You guys are into soccer, not me. I also have a life and like traveling to, Four kids' is, uh, away soccer games for travel soccer is more than enough for me. I'm not going to then go extra. You know, I've done more than enough. And I think that actually hurt Ben's feelings quite a bit because that was his passion. So being invested in your kid's passion without losing yourself is also a really difficult... Without losing yourself or getting confused between your passion and your kid's passion is a super difficult road to walk and was a big anxiety for me. And I think you guys saw other parents being way more invested in their kids' kind of dreams regarding that. And I think you envied them. So let's talk about that. <laughs> you don't have to throw me or anybody else under the bus. But, um, you know, that 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 is the thing. You know, there were other people who saw, you know, they, they honed in on other t measures of success with good results. Because you have a friend who's two friends that you grew up with who are college soccer players. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, um, so I personally never considered, like, I loved soccer. I still love soccer. Like, I love it to death as a, as a hobby. But I would. I never, like, considered, um, it being, like, my career, like, my long-term, like, whatever, because, I don't know, I just always knew that my, my academics were just, like, was, was, was my, was my strong was suit, strength. so it was gonna mm -hmm. carry me through, but, like, um, I know there are people who, like, athletics is right for them you know right um but like at the same time there with your parents there's like certain levels of support that are like appropriate i think i don't yeah when you when you see someone who literally lives through their child mm, it's toxic it's, for it's, everybody it's involved just, it's just sad honestly like like do you pick it up as kids? Did you guys pick it up as kids when you saw, oh gosh, that dad is just living through his kid. He didn't get to play whatever soccer, whatever level, and so now he's trying to get the kid. Because it would be apparent to me as a parent, but I don't know if kids can tell when a parent is living through a kid who's ambivalent at best about the sport. 
Yeah. Um. I think. I don't know. I mean, just looking at the, at my friends who are college soccer players now and the ones who will be like next year um their parents i don't think their parents are like unhealthily supportive no but and but it's it's certainly like not anything that's like been in our family i think Mm. but also like we have a a lot of kids and there's like a lot of time there's sort of a balance between and this is also a hard thing for a parent to, to, to gauge is are you going to see a kid with potential and see that they have both potential and desire and are you going to help them do whatever it takes to get to reach their goals and that I think is a very admirable thing if a kid is so passionate about a thing and they have not just the passion but the drive and the discipline And then they are lucky enough to be matched with a parent who is like all in. I'm going to do this for my kid. That's a beautiful thing. That's a symbiotic relationship that that makes for excellence in all things. Now, there are also people who are excellent at sports who rose in spite of their parents. They are their parents. They might have been born to a single mom who worked three jobs and had no idea that they're even playing the sport. And that kid found a way, right? That kid had enough natural raw talent and drive and everything. So it's really hard to know as a parent, like, how much do I support a dream? How much is realistic? How much do I sacrifice the family's resources, my own resources, emotionally, financially, and, you know, just in terms of meeting my own goals? Um, That is a terrible balance to have to strike. And we've seen it struck very successfully for your two friends who are in college soccer. And whose parents have for sure sacrificed. I know that because they're my friends. And I've seen them sacrifice time, money, resources and everything. But they wouldn't have had it any other way. And it's turned out really well. And the family dynamic has stayed healthy. And it's been incredibly successful all the way around. so, you know, it's just this really hard thing to gauge. But I think what you've got to be so aware of is that if, if there's a finite amount of resources, not just of finances, but also time. And um, if you put all, everything into this impossible dream for this kid and then the kid does not achieve the dream, what are you left with? So that's, you know, yikes. That's a difficult one. And you don't want your parent, you don't want you to feel, uh, I, I never wanted you guys to feel like I was unsupportive of your dreams. And I think there was, t- there were times that, you know, making those kind of calls, your, your, maybe your older brother saw it as being unsupportive of, of a dream. So, um, yeah, we definitely haven't always been able to strike the perfect balance. But I, and one thing I do know for sure is not living through your kids is so so toxic and so sad and we saw kids looking terrified if they lost a game walking off the field we heard their moms or their dads screaming at them that kind of pressure is so so inappropriate and so toxic and so sad so um if you're gonna i'm thinking if you're gonna err a certain way go the other way (laughs) from that yeah and i think well if we talk about, like, Finney for a second. Finney, yeah. I think, is probably 
um, he's come the closest out of the children to like pursuing that athletic career or whatever. He's just starting out with like a that next a, level. Yeah, the yeah. next level, the new team. Um, he's try. He wants to play college soccer. Yeah. Um, and I have I I don't have any doubts that this will result in like more involvement from you guys. Yeah. And, but like I, that makes sense because it's like, it's a different level of, of soccer. Well, but, and and it is like literally, his his dream. Yeah. The thing is, is that yeah, I think we we it's a fortunate time because yeah, we have more time, um, slightly more resources, and we've also heard from people, from enough people that Finney has a real shot. Yeah, yeah. So I think you know you've got to also recognize you've got to take into account other people's input as yeah. well. I mean, yeah, if if Finney wasn't actually that good at soccer, it was, it, might be a different story well and also if you're sort of you've got to be very careful about the the voices that you hear from because there will be people who are after your money who will tell you your kid's good enough to go places just pay me this much money and one sort of good measure of this is you give as much as you can and then you say okay coaches are you going to make up the deficit we have this much money to give we have this many resources can you help us out with the rest is this kid good enough or the kid itself himself goes, am I good enough? You know, the kid, Finney led the charge on that next level. You know, Finney, Finney talked to coaches and, and when they were like, yeah, we think you're good enough, um, he opened those conversations. And I think that's kind of a healthy way to go about it and to really get an accurate read as to what level your kid really is at. Because this is an opportunistic thing just like everything else is. People are out for your money and they will cash in on, on people's hopes and dreams very very callously if they have to so yeah we've been fortunate in that regard anyway so uh, so enough of that um what are some ways in which you feel like um like kids in general sort of like are vulnerable or underserved in terms of getting support from adults not just parents but maybe you know any because if somebody's I've had people reaching out to me quite a bit saying I love and know somebody who's young and they are super depressed or they're really struggling. Um, would you talk to them or do you, can you give me advice on how to help them? Um, and they're not even necessarily their parent. They're just a mentor. They're just they're a, const- a, par- a teacher, a concerned community member, um, which is wonderful because it does take a village. Um, you know, what are some ways in which you think people are being, kids are struggling in a way that adults are not as aware or cognizant of as they could be? Have, because you've, you've been in the trenches, you've seen kids. Do you think mental health is a big deal? That a lot more kids are depressed than are letting on? Or what? Addicted to things? Um, okay, yeah, I, I guess I could touch on it a little bit. Um, but then again, I don't... I'm putting you on the spot, I realize. So, (laughs) I think mental health, yeah, there's a, there's a lot, there's a lot of that, and, um, there's, like, a variety of it, and I think, um, poor mental health has been, um, I don't know if it's increasing, or if, like, more people are opening up about it, but I don't know, but I think, 
social media mm. is like a big factor because like it can be pretty unhealthy I think for all of us yeah and, yeah um and then with like getting addicted to things well do you want to touch more on social media is there anything like parents could do or should do or uh, or like it's, it's a dangerous it's a dangerous game to play and it's a and uh, what I, exactly? I, I don't know if parents can do anything really because you you don't want to forbid your children from using social media no. because that's going to not go over well and I don't know um, well I mean okay look if God forbid you found yourself a father like now and you're having to raise kids in this era with social media and they have not had a phone they're like a fresh new like virgin to social media right and you have to make choices as to how they're going to navigate social media knowing exactly what you know at what age would you let them have a phone and what kind of thing would you let them do on it because you know better than we do what goes on I personally I'm I'm one to follow the age limits <laughs> yeah you the are. age limits um, specified by like don't do that because it's gonna sorry. pick up on the mic yeah, yeah. Uh, the age limit specified by um, by like social media sites. Yeah. Um, because first of all, um, they can't they can ban your account like years after you started it if you started it before you were like thirteen or whatever. So they'll just take away all your content. Yeah. If they find so, oh. Yeah. So you could have all this brilliant content from ages thirteen to thirty three, and they're like wait. I see you started this when you were 11. Mm-hmm. Goodbye. Verified account. Gone. Yeah. <laughs> that would exactly. be terrible. Okay, I see what you're saying. Okay. Uh, I mean, yeah, so logistically, that's a reason to wait. Um, Only Gabe would come up with that. Okay, yeah. And then also, like, um, I don't know, like, there's a reason they set those age limits. Um, I don't know. Just, like, if you, if you see, if you're, like, I don't know, from an older person's perspective, if I see a 12-year-old, like, on Twitter, just, like, tweeting nonsense, I'm just going to shake my head, because I'm just, like, I don't know, and I've... They're going to be embarrassed by this one day. Yeah. For sure. And also, another thing is that once you're that age, you're toward the end of your middle school days, or, like, at the end of it, and middle school like culture is so toxic it is so bad like it doesn't even make sense like the stuff that they preach as gospel truth is so weird like arbitrary yeah like what you wear (laughs) i don't it's just like it doesn't it doesn't make sense to me but like it doesn't make sense to anyone (laughs) if you use social media to like spread that if like if those kids have social media and they're like spreading those those that culture Mm. that's just bad and yeah. that, you're just like but is not having social media as a middle schooler is that social suicide or is that a great protection against depression and all sorts of like stress because it seems like hell to be a middle schooler um it wasn't when i was growing up in south africa i'll tell you that it was not america is this like is this place where, and I don't know if it's just America, but everybody talks about how hellacious middle school is. And I'm like, I 
Me and my South African friends don't talk about middle school. There wasn't even a thing, but we don't talk about how standards five through eight would or hell at all. I mean, I remember them being fairly, you know, tumultuous in terms of hormones and boyfriends and stuff, but it wasn't particularly awful socially. People were still nice to me. Um, so it seems like there's something in the air here or there's something specifically with social media. And I want to know, like, how do you inoculate your middle school kid to this drama that ends up in suicide a lot more lately? Yeah, I, I honestly don't know if there's an, a perfect way to go about it. Would you, like, ban your kid from a social media in middle school? Well, you already said you would stick to yeah, to I'm guidelines. And so what can what age do you have to be? You've got to be 13, 13. for Facebook yeah. and Twitter. I, most, I think most of them are 13. And Snapchat? Snapchat's kind of... Uh, that's I'm, a, not, I'm not sure Snapchat has an age limit. Yeah, Snapchat's kind of um, the Wild West. Because anything could be going Ella on in there. Snapchat. Huh? Ella has a Snapchat. Yeah, but I also can watch it where who Ella snaps, and that's me and Dad. Um, so, yeah, well, uh, something to be aware of. I guess that's a good guideline. <laughs> Stay in yeah. the guidelines, the age guidelines. That will protect you. And um, don't let kids have phones in their rooms at night because they won't sleep, and that's when things get all kinds of crazy. Do you think? Um, that, that's been attempted in this household. <laughs> I know it. I know it. And what did you, what do you think of that? Because we were super bad at this. Well, okay. It didn't. It didn't it, take. It, it, it didn't take ever. And I don't know if that's because it was a bad idea or because there just wasn't any there real, wasn't like, enough motivation to enforce there it. wasn't enough motivation it wasn't compelling enough because you guys weren't nothing horrific was happening um which is such a bad way to go about it because it could have easily and it could still become horrific you know but we were like no we've heard this is very bad my concern always was that you don't have a break even if it's not thoroughly toxic you don't have a break from your social life and you need that you need a break you need a breather away from the intensity of of teenage angst or preteen angst you must have a break and also there's not enough sleep being had that was my concern but then everybody would whine about the alarm clocks and the this and the that and then there was like bleating about the scriptures being on the phone <laughs> You guys would do everything. So, um, so yeah. You're afraid to throw your siblings under the bus right now, aren't you? The ones that still live here, you're like, I don't want to make mom take away their phones at night. Yeah. No, because, like, people, we've just become, like, we literally, like, need our phones to, like, fall asleep. We'll, like, watch YouTube videos until we get tired or something yeah. like that. So, like, right. I don't know. It's just, like, the thought of just, like, going into your room and just laying down. There's a thing, like, a, it's called a book. <laughs> okay, whatever. <laughs> With pages. Okay, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to press you on that. That's uncomfortable. Okay, so you were actually, you were keen to get into addictions or not? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, recently... 
<sighs> like the vaping. It's just I don't know. I I I think it's horrible. <laughs> you you um you see that it's kind of escalating. Vaping. Yeah. Oh, and it's it's just such a stupid thing. Like, are people? Is it? Look, I really don't know enough about vaping. Is it highly addictive? Okay. So. Okay, so it's addictive. Um. Yeah. So vaping has just like exploded over like the last year or so or whatever and i it's just it's just a social thing honestly well that's how it began and it's nicotine and nicotine is addictive okay okay and and it like can cause cancer and whatever but like um there's one type of vape which is called a jewel which is just like loaded with nicotine and it's designed to help people who or smokers and to like help them get off of it um but kids use it because it's nice it's a little it's a little slim thing it's just like fancy it's I don't, I don't know but like um yeah so just imagine just developing a nicotine addiction off of something that you bought to fit in yeah right? so, like, so people are sort of not aware that it's as insidious as it is that it's quite bad for you and they just think it's a, a cool fun little yeah and I accessory think, yeah and at this point i i think we're in we're entering the stages of people who still have vapes are the ones who got addicted to them when when they were all the hype because, oh, because like, the... it's not really it's not really like trending as much anymore but there are still people who use them because they're literally addicted to them and oh. it's just sad to see and how do you get off like is there a way gum just the nicotine same, gum. same way as you get off smoking okay like so we thought like I, I i've seen a tweet that was like we thought our generation was going to beat the smoking epidemic but then vaping happened vaping yeah happened it's literally the exact same thing so that's that's sad so, but the the comforting news is that it's not um, trending anymore. That people are kind of like have abandoned it. It's not growing in popularity. Yeah, or... I, I think so. that's just how that's, that's what how you I, see. Yeah, that's yeah. my perspective. And so, um, do you think that like drugs are getting less of a problem? I mean, we've got the opioid crisis, and I don't know if you see it sort of in your circles as much. Opioids, no, I. Which is lucky because in Ohio there's a huge epidemic just right outside our town and probably yeah. people that you know that you're not even aware of, but um, you see most of, most people are kind of dealing in in uh, smoking pot. Is that the kind of is yeah which yeah I'm aware of marijuana circulating which is kind has become widely accepted as yeah, like, because it's going to be legal here anyway um i don't have a problem with it no i mean obviously everything in moderation because anything anything can can take over your life and and, and make it so it owns you rather than you or it's controlling kind of you rather than you controlling it but um yeah that's an interesting one because i don't think a lot of parents kind of go all right well have a good time be careful, don't drink, don't vape. You know, like people, I've never thought to ask you guys if you were vaping or if your friends were or if you're, 
you know so what about alcohol though i like do a lot of kids your age binge drink still or is that not as prevalent um i think okay so like pretty much everybody drinks like that's just a yeah. given um but i don't i don't see a lot of problems with it being dangerous like literally people are so like people are so strict against drinking and driving like that's what i've noticed like people will not do it which so it is, sounds which like your generation's good. quite a lot yeah, smarter in general than like i've heard i've heard about kids get like getting in fights because someone wanted to go drink and drive and like someone just fought them they're like no that's not happening that's cool yeah maybe you just hang around with the really high caliber of people <laughs> no i don't hang out with those people those are the people who like i would not expect to be responsible about it like i just heard about it oh it's like oh well, wow so speaking of which hanging out with a high caliber of people you have had a really really supportive group of friends in terms of helping you to just kind of keep your shit together um you know i don't feel like you've had to struggle against a lot of peer pressure to do stuff that you didn't not an undue amount maybe a little here and there but not an undue amount like it seems like you guys are all following similar paths of putting your heads down, getting stuff done, having some fun, but basically being, you know, really good kids. How does that happen? How, you know, parents, are we, have we just, I, I feel like we've been incredibly lucky. Um, but how can, how do you see this all playing out? You know, because it seems as though a kid can get into the wrong crowd of kids and then the whole thing just unravels really, really fast how um is there like a way is have we just been lucky i don't okay so with my group of friends yeah i i honestly think it's just luck it's just luck because like i don't know every every like i can't explain to you like how it happened like yeah um everyone i've heard a lot of people just say like how do you get so lucky to like have the same friends for so long and yeah everyone's just like still so cool and like such good kids oh my god i don't know yeah i think maybe one thing that's been helpful is that we as the parents have all stayed very close yeah and sort of we communicate and there's been times where we've like i think something that's to be said for being friends with your kids as parents friends is helpful because you're always like if your parents don't find out what if gabe tells his mom and you know she's gonna tell my mom is there that kind of kind of like in the back of your mind everybody knows that no secret is safe <laughs> that like yeah. everybody knows everything being a small town and that the moms are all very much in touch and not afraid to yeah i, th- I think there's definitely a sense of like background um, I don't know. Just There's not a lot of anonymity in yeah. terms of like we all kind of aware of what each other's kids are doing, and obviously stuff falls between the cracks, and and not everything needs to be reported. Yeah. You know, not every confidence that that every person's been, and I'm sure there's stuff that my kids have done that I'll never know about, and he nods emphatically. And okay then, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> no, no, but I, but I do. Uh, that's the only thing I think. It's been a combination. We've been really lucky. 
we've also you know with good kids who have found good kids and living geographically close to each other and having found sort of common interests and that the parents get along and have similar goals and value systems the families have similar value systems is helpful too so yeah i mean i'm not sure how to again i'm like referencing i'm, I'm thinking about michelle obama who grew up in a poor area she grew up with not a lot of money at all um, but she had very good support she had very steady hard-working parents who were very very diligent in giving their children as many opportunities as they could possibly give and then she did difficult things like she went to you know her parents helped her to get into a very good school but it was well out of her area so she drove a bus in Chicago winters at a very young age very far distances so they didn't protect her against that and I think sometimes parents want to protect their kids against uncomfortable things that will stretch them um, and I noted you know I was impressed by her parents like look this will help you out and she ended up going to Princeton like she was not born with a silver spoon in her mouth nor was Barack and she did also have a similar temperament to you being very driven and conscientious and hardworking and diligent but then so did her parents and they were very steady and she had this she had a family to return to and report to and that's the thing I think just being aware not controlling your kids but being very highly aware of their lives and seeing their faces on a date I just remember one of my kids and I, I won't even mention who um, but I'd really kind of gotten lost in my own in the last you know you know my struggle with depression and PTSD and I really gotten lost in that and I at one point noticed one of my children walking by with such a terrible haunted expression on their face and I was able to intervene in a situation that I should have maybe gotten way way you know headed off way before that but I realized how important it is for mom to have FaceTime with their kid, just to see their face and just to have that sort of check in with them often is so imperative. And that could have so easily escalated out of control and become something that we couldn't, um, or just become even more difficult for that kid. So that's my kind of, that's the only thing that I can say we can the best we can do is just really see our kids a lot and I don't know if you would agree with that just see their faces yeah I mean you need to understand they're also having a life yeah what what they're going through in order mm -hmm. to like best um I don't know be a parent to them based on like what they need yeah like it's it's um I, I think that parenting strategies need to be like customizable for who you're parenting I agree and each and that's what you know we've kind of retorted with, with this ongoing debate and and sort of it's humorous it's all in good it's all in good humor regarding you know Ella um, but we've been like well what works for her is different than what works for you guys because she doesn't have four siblings to play with she has lol dolls to play with you know that you know on her level that sort of thing but um that said and we're we'll wrap up soon um that said i think that you know sometimes i've touched on this and sometimes you as a parent would at no time 
you've got to realize that you as a parent cannot be all things to your kid, no matter what, how good of a parent you are. And it's important to give your kid access to other good, responsible adults who might be able to address their concerns and, and, and speak to them or reach them in ways that you can't. And, and, and for me, when I was going through my terrible depression, I was fortunate enough that you had a really steady father who was there for you, but he was also very preoccupied with what was going on with me. Um, and that, that was a real huge drain on the family, sort of like collective um, emotional resources and even time. And, you know, with mom being basically out of commission for a while. And we talked about how important it was that you had sort of a very stable, um, you knew there were other adults that you could lean on. Even if you didn't confide a lot in them, you knew they were out there. Like you knew Carolyn was right there. You know, you knew that you weren't lost at sea. There was somebody, you had a lot of, of stable adults that, that things weren't suddenly different and changing. And I think this happens, you know, parents go through divorces and parents are, are, are human beings who are subject to all sorts of chaos and emotional upheaval or illness or anything, right? Um, were you conscious of, of, of knowing that you had other sort of, you know, was that a comfort to you? Yeah, I mean, like, I didn't feel lost or anything. I didn't feel like I was confined to the people who live in this house. Yeah. Like, obviously, I knew that, like, I had a lot of support wherever I would need it, you know? Like... Yeah. Not, I mean, I can't say that I, that I took action on that, that I felt the need to take action on that. Yeah. Um, but like, I guess it was comforting to know. And I think that's, you know, we've been really lucky with that, that we, because we've been far away from extended family and we really haven't had that. And then at this sort of a similar time, we, um, we distanced ourselves from our church community, which had been the major, one of the major kind of like touch points of our life, our religious community, our religion as well. There were a lot of changes happening for you guys at a very pivotal time. It probably really helped that you all knew in the back of your minds that you were part of a, a, a much wider connection of people beyond both of those things, beyond your parents, beyond the church. Um, in this community who had who would have your back if you you know just having that in the back of your mind so I think as a parent um, if I had to start all over again with a whole new set of kids and you know knowing what I know I would consciously build up a really supportive community of as many people as I could think of don't make the mistake of thinking I am my child's alpha and omega and every you know we are everything for this kid that's too much for any parent and as many good mentors or as many good solid steady people that you can put into their life that they can reach out to um for any reason you know because uh, like hive mind you know in, in terms of career counseling or whatever or maybe they just relate to you uh, relate to somebody else on a personality level better than they relate to you as a parent at a different age that is a good thing to do as a parent give kids a lot of resources and I really feel like that has that has been one of the better things I've done as a mom to 
to give you lots of resources. So, and I feel like you've availed yourself very intelligently of all of the resources you've had and sort of not burned bridges and stuff like that, which I am very grateful for. You have made it easy to uh, be a mom, exceptionally so. And you've been such an asset to our family and will always be. And also, um, I think you draw good people to our family. You are a good ambassador. You attract good folk. So we are grateful. And good things. We love you so much. Thanks, Mom. Love you too. Thank you for talking to me today. And I'm, I'm thinking people will actually find your insights really helpful. And I hope so. Yes. I do. And if nothing else, we have this for posterity. So thanks so much. I appreciate it. Yep. All right. Talk to you guys soon. Bye. Bye.